0: here today and the last and final day of 2023 and uh, welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre and thank you for joining us and also to those joining the family online a big big welcome to you and I trust you all sense the leading of of God uh, of God on the word today amen and that you'll be greatly encouraged and built up by it which is what the word edify means to charge or to build up and the word of God will do that for you I'd like if you will to turn in your bibles to matthew's gospel in chapter 21 i pray that you've brought your bibles with you a notebook and a pen it's great it's a good habit to get into and uh and here we're reading from the 28th verse in just a moment and it's in what is referred to as the parable of the two sons and you'll see that just written in italics and uh and uh, it's not the the parable of the prodigal son because uh, we may draw some parallels from it because that parable also has two sons but jesus here is speaking in this 21st chapter of matthew and he has just spoken with the chief priest and the elders of the people in the temple and it states in verse 23 that they confronted jesus as he was teaching that's a very upfront sort of word and it? it says they confronted jesus in other words they interrupted jesus and they said, demanding, by what authority are you doing these things? And uh, it's interesting to note from the outset that religious people and religion in general has no, no problem calling to account a true move of the spirit of God. Here is Jesus himself and they're saying, by what authority are you doing these things? In other words, they can't recognise uh, the nose on their own face, even though it may be as big as my own. And uh, they don't recognise a move of God or anything that threatens their own authority, influence or viewpoint. And today's method of dealing with such matters is no real different. It's called cancel culture. Trying to pull, I call, and you've heard it called before, the royal rug from beneath people that they deem to be inferior. That they deem to be ill-advised or held the wrong ideology. And de-platforming people, as here demonstrated, is not something new. It's a bit of a new term, isn't it, to de-platform someone, but the concept is not new. And uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and scribes, and elders throughout the entirety of Jesus' earthly ministry consistently tried to be de-platformed. They tried to, con- to continuously deplatform Jesus and his ministry. But the Bible tells me it's a spiritual law in John chapter 1, that darkness cannot extinguish light, amen? That doesn't matter how hard darkness will try, they cannot and do not have the capacity to extinguish light. And so here they are having an intellectual and ethical duel with Jesus, and it proved to be futile, and a futile exercise is in Jesus, as I call, impales the, the aggressors by the simple telling of a simple parable which exposes their hypocrisy. And throughout all Scripture... You see, Jesus just absolutely deflates their, uh, uh, their self-important balloon. He just pricks their bubble by telling them a little simple story and a parable. And uh, Jesus jarred them, as our kids would say, on every encounter. Have you ever heard your kids say, oh, he just got jarred? And Jesus jarred his oppressors and those who tried to shut him down all the time. He caught them out in their own trickery and their deceit. And by the time the Pharisees and elders comprehended that the parable was about them, it also revealed to all that were present, because there was plenty of witnesses, their hypocrisy and all eyes were on them as they seethed silently without any further comeback. And time and time again, Jesus did that. Amen? And so the title of my message, there was some bets going on before the service, what was going to be the title of my message? And it's called a Shaky Start But Finishing Well. And I'd like to read this scripture here in uh, Matthew 21 and 28. And Jesus here, after he explained to him, by what authority are you doing these things? He just told them about John the Baptist. Then he went on to say, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, yes, dad, I'm going now. (laughs) It's not what he said, did it? He said, I will not. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second son and he said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? This is Jesus speaking. They said to him the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Isn't that amazing? He said that to the religious authorities of the day. Tax collectors and harlots are entering the kingdom of heaven before you guys. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you do not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So the title of my message this morning, A Shaky Start But Finishing Well. And that's really the start of the first son, isn't it? He said, I'm not going. But what is revealed to us in this parable is the twofold responses to the request by the Father to go out and work in the Father's vineyard. And a, a shaky start in the eyes of God is not, is not so nearly as important as a good finish. Who understands that a lot of us in our Christian walk have a shaky start? We stumble, we fall, but it's not what counts, it's how we finish. We're drawing to the end of 2023. We're just about to embark on another year. Next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on hope and vision because I believe the two most important dates in your life is the day you were born and the second date is the reason why you were born. You find out when, why you were born. Isn't it a good day when you find out why you were born? You've got a purpose in life. The Bible says without purpose, people perish. And so people say, oh, the two most important dates are the day you live and the day you die. But not so. It's the day when you find your purpose in life, and I'm going to be speaking about that next week. But a shaky start, but finishing well. One man says, I will not go, but he changes his mind, while the other man says enthusiastically, I will go, but relents and does not go at all. The first son basically is saying, I will not yield, I will not be told. I will do my own thing. I am my own person now. After all, I'm 16. All these similar attitudes are wrapped up in this one definitive, defiant response and reply I will not go. At least he was telling the truth. (laughs) Amen? He was telling the truth when he said, I wasn't going. I'm not going. He laid it out for his father to know from the outset I am not going. I will not go. After a period of time, the son regretted his decision and he changed his mind. A shaky start, but a great finish. Life has a way of correcting our so sure, untested, self-reliant mindsets that don't include or need God. Who know when you're young that you don't seem to include or even need God? You just think, oh gosh, oh that's a bit of an old hat sort of idea. I really don't need God. But a change of mind or heart is what the Bible calls repentance. That's a good word, isn't it? It's the R word. It's almost like a swear word. This mighty word is, in fact, not a swear word, but is one of the most powerful and liberating things any person can do. The most liberating thing you can do is repent before God and repent before those whom you have offended. It is a liberating thing to do. They reckon shaving your head is a liberating thing to do. People say there's a tremendous sense of freedom when you shave your head. I've heard so many people say that. I think they were saying that because they couldn't grow any hair, but really... But it is a liberating thing to do is when you repent before God. And that burden on your back is just totally lifted. You've been carrying it around for so long... But a simple act of repentance, genuine repentance, which means a turning around, not just saying sorry, but meaning sorry, meaning a 180 degree turn in word and deed. In word and deed, that's repentance. But The father says to son number two, son, go work today in my vineyard. The second son replies, sure thing, dad, consider it done. I'm on my way, you can count on me. That's right, I'm really number one son, not number two son. The second son's response was a lie, as his actions didn't line up with his words, amen? Who knows Our our words have to line up with our actions, or our actions need to line up with our words? Talking heads, rhetoric, verbal diarrhea, talk is cheap, isn't it? Talk is cheap. Actions, faith without works is dead, says the Apostle James. Or all talk and no action, we've heard that one, isn't it? Gets tossed around at work and even in the school playground. Oh, you're all talk and no action. We don't like it from our leaders and God doesn't like it from us. He doesn't like it from us. Son number two is the one of the one-hit wonders. He looks good from the outside. The talk and confidence flows easily, but the substance and follow-through is absent. What about us? When we say something, do our actions follow through and substantiate our words or do they detract from their words so that people no longer believe us the second time? But Jesus exposed the Pharisees and leaders in that day of the same conduct. And so he said, "'Which of the two did the will of the Father?' And they said to him, the first, Jesus said to them, surely I say to you that tax collectors and sinners and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. He said, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. I'm talking today about a shaky start, but finishing well. I like that because it means there's room for me. I've had a few shaky starts in life but I've come back to the cross. I've come back to the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the person of the second chance. He's the person of the third chance. He's the person of the fourth chance. Oh, it's a good gospel, isn't it? it you know, it's not called greasy grace. It's not that at all. You don't take the grace of God lightly, but there is grace for you. Amen? The unconditional favor of God extended to people who don't deserve it. But when true repentance is found, true forgiveness is given. Jesus exposed the Pharisees, the tax collectors and harlots, Jesus said, would enter the kingdom of heaven before them. Sure, they had said no to God, but they were not dishonest nor spoke from both sides of their mouth in doing so as son number two. And so we also see in the parable of the prodigal son, which I believe most of us here would know, also demonstrates the change of heart that takes place and the wild and wasteful son returns to his father's house and is fully, and I mean fully, reinstated. The robe of righteousness is presented, the ring is there, the sandals are given, they kill the fatted calf and the son is fully reinstated. The elder brother in the parable of of the wasteful son, the prodigal son, In that parable, he remembers and reminds the father of the younger brother's shortcomings and failings. While the father forgives and forgets, the younger brother remembers and reminds. And here too is illustrated the job description of both the devil and Jesus in regard to our sin. Do you know the devil's got a job description? And it's to remember and to remind you of your sin. That's what his job description is, amen? To rob to kill to destroy that's his job description what's jesus jesus or the fathers he's to forgives and forgets and when you come to him your sin is not covered as in the old testament wording atonement the word atonement is not in the new testament only in the king james version but it's not a correct translation the word atonement is an old testament word meaning that your sin is covered but in the new testament it speaks nothing of that because your sin is removed and that word justified, justify, had never sinned. Your sin is removed in the sight of God and in heaven, it's as though you had never sinned. That's what true repentance does. Oh, it's a good thing, this thing called repentance, this R word. John 10.10, 10, and Jesus said, it's written in red, the thief does not come except to steal, steal and to kill and to destroy. Add that to his job description. I have come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. When you come to Jesus, you can be sure that abundant life is heading in your way. It's a spiritual law. It's a spiritual law. God doesn't have to rethink of it. When you come to him, all prosperity and every abundant thing is coming, every good and perfect gift comes from above. We know that. So there, Jesus said you have life and have it more abundantly. When I was 14 years of age, something happened in my heart. And uh, it wasn't a good thing. And my actions and heart told God that I would not go into his vineyard. I did the same thing. I said, Lord, that vineyard of yours is not for me. I ceased going to church, as did my whole family at the time, for decades. When I got saved, I led all my family back to the Lord, half my family back to the Lord. The other half are still to come. But that's what happened. And my heart was seared. And from the age of 14 to 29, I'd made my own plans. I was my own person. And, uh, and when I was 14 years of age, my actions and heart told Dad, God, that I would not go into his vineyard. I knew best. It's like one of them kids' books, Jeffrey Knows Best. It took me another 15 years to find out the hard way that I knew nothing at all, amen? How long has it taken you? How long has it taken us? We've all got a walk and a road to travel, amen? But the earlier you do it, the best. So over 30 years ago, I said I was sorry to God with corresponding actions that followed and my life took on a radical new direction and I pray yours has too and when I came to the end of myself I came to God what about you when you come to the end of yourself when you come to the end of the rope tie a knot and come to God amen it's a good thing to do Nobody can tell me that it was not the best decision that I have ever made. Nobody can convince me otherwise. I don't care what your theology is. I don't care what you believe in. Coming to God was the best decision I ever did. It is not a theory to me, but it is life to me. And I would say that many people here can testify for themselves of that same life-changing experience when you give your life to Christ and make that decision, and a decision it is. It doesn't happen by itself. Some people think, oh, I'll just come to God one day when he, when this and when that and everything. No, it's not. It is a deliberate decision to come to God. He said, no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. And so the Spirit of God has to draw you and we should not take it for granted. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Why? Because he may not always draw you. We should never take it for granted that the Spirit of God will draw you again. If he's drawn you in this place, it means that there is another chance for you. For those listening online, I don't believe you're listening by accident. There is another chance for you. And if you're taken one step away from God, you've taken one step too far. And the greatest move of God you can anticipate right now is taking another step closer to God. but it can take us from a course of serving self, this thing called repentance, and often the self-destruction that can result from a, a lifestyle of serving self and where we can be our own God. Many people these days think, I'm my own God, and it's liberally sort of expressed and talked about. Some movie stars just say blatant things like, I am, as if they were God himself. It's not uncommon. And serving and uh, But when you come to God, you serve God, and you will find when you serve God, you will always serve others. It goes hand in hand. When you give to God, God imparts and gives you a new heart, which gives you a heart for others. And I believe the theme for next year, uh, as of 12 o'clock tonight, will be others for this church, because a church with a focus on others can only prosper. We exist here to benefit those almost that are not members isn't that amazing that really is a description of the church one of the only organizations on the earth to benefit those who are not members to be a blessing to this community we're looking for ways to be a blessing to people and to be a blessing to this community and in so the peace and the blessing of God will rest upon us And that blessing of heaven, when you you repent, that peace of God, the Bible says, which surpasses all understanding, that comes upon your life. If you lack peace, come to God. And does anybody hear like the sound of having peace in the midst of a less than perfect situation? Does anybody like the sound of that? Life is filled with less than perfect situations. We'd all have to agree on that. We may not agree on anything, but we'd have to agree on that. It's filled with Less than perfect situations. But does your peace rely on having a perfect situation? I have found in that there is no such thing really as perfect situations, but the peace of God comes with a relationship with the perfect person. Not a perfect situation, but a perfect person. And that perfect person is Jesus Christ. When you come into relationship with the perfect person, God's righteousness revealed we just sang in the form of Jesus Christ when he's revealed in your heart that peace of God is soon to follow immediately will you receive him today will you receive him today taking a step away from God one step too far I'd like for us if to go to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 if you would And here we're reading about, it's called, uh, the title over that paragraph, they just put it in to help us, it's called, A Sinful Woman is Forgiven. And uh, it says, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, this is Jesus, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant house. To paraphrase these verses here, the next 10 verses or so, this woman who was a great sinner, uh, she cleansed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. And then she poured an alabaster jar full of costly oil and ointment on Jesus' feet. And uh, it confronted Jesus at the home of Simon, a Pharisee, that sinful woman came in weeping. She was crying. You see, that was tears of repentance which made way for her. And then it followed with acts of service. Repentance will always... When Saul of Tarsus, Christ was revealed to him on the road of Damascus, he said, Who are you, Lord, and what must I do? You see, faith and works always work hand in hand. Never one is isolated from the other. Never. The just shall live by faith as I preached a week ago or so and that faith without works is dead work hand in hand and so here is this woman a sinful woman breaks open alab- an alabaster jar very costly oil cleans and rubs and anoints jesus feet but it confronts the legalistic religion and faith of simon the pharisee and it does when you have a relationship with jesus christ it confronts religion in the face because you have a reality, a substance of Christ. Not just a theory, not just a doctrine. Jesus didn't die on a cross for a doctrine nor a theory. But he died on a cross that we would have relationship. Amen? This is good stuff. And this woman was a known sinner. And I'm thinking, how well Simon knew her, it doesn't say. But it is certainly it was certainly a fact that this woman in his house made him very uncomfortable. And Jesus said to Simon... Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The woman had a shaky start in life, but she finished well. What about you? Have you had a shaky start in your Christian life? But I pray today, today is a great day for us all. I don't care what shaky start you've had, don't let your revision mirror be bigger than the one that is before you. Sometimes our rear vision mirror are bigger than the great windscreen in front of us. Oh, it shouldn't not be. I say, look back, don't stare, learn from your past mistakes, be a wise person and learn from someone else's mistakes. That's even better. But look back and don't stare. Your beginning is not the end of the story, it's the end of the story, how you finish, and finish well, like the son said, I will not go into the field, Dad. He laid it out on the for him. He didn't even say, oh, he, he didn't try to disguise it. He told the truth, but he relented. He turned, he repented, and he went and worked in his father's vineyard. The Lord is calling us all to work in the father's vineyard into whatever capacity God has gifted you in. So this woman had a shaky start, but she finished well. I think it's a great story. And the gospel message is, is good news. Because it means that anybody, whatever start you had in life, it can always finish well for you. Always. In another place, Jesus said to a woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, says Romans 8.1. Doesn't it say that? No condemnation. Don't let anybody, if you've repented, if you've come to Christ, don't let anybody bring condemnation on you. Amen. Try to load you down with stuff that is not your business. If you've repented of it, it's gone, it's dusted. It's not just atoned for, it's not covered, it's removed, amen? So in this parable, son number one who had the shaky start, finish well. In life, it has often been my observation, and it's probably been yours too, that the greatest sinners often make the greatest of saints. Who's noticed that? The greatest of sinners make the greatest of saints. Why? Because they've experienced the grace of God in a capacity that they are never the same again. I'm not in the habit of shooting saints, but the church has been pretty good at it over the years. Shooting saints and sinners, people who have fallen from grace, and we've been the only army who shoots our wounded. But I feel some of the greatest preachers who have fallen from grace, yes, they have sinned, Even after preaching the gospel, I have found when they experience the depth of God's grace, having been in a position like that of responsibility, fallen from grace. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. But we shouldn't shoot the wounded. But our job in the Bible says to pick them up and encourage them. And I tell you what, that man or woman will never preach the same again because they've experienced the depths of God's love and God's grace. There's room for you at the cross. There's room for me at the cross, because I too have fallen so many times and so many times. And sometimes I get up, the Lord picks me up. or oh, and he begins to carry me, We walk together and it's a life not alone, because God encourages every step of the way. And so, Paul, we think uh, some of the shaky starters in the Bible, and I didn't, haven't put together much of a list, just a couple and I looked at Paul called Saul. The persecutor became the proclaimer and preacher of the gospel. Shaky start. Shaky start. Killing Christians was his, I think it was more like a hobby to him more than anything. He's so relished in them. And then God used this man to be a proclaimer of the faith. Shaky start. You see, there's room at the cross. John Mark, we see that he let the team down badly in the book of Acts. And Paul didn't want to take him on anymore. He thought, no, get rid of him. And he wouldn't have any more to do with him. But I see later on in the book of Acts that John Mark was reinstated. And he began to preach powerfully and work for the kingdom of heaven again. He experienced the depths of God's grace. Have you experienced the depths of God's grace? Is there any perfect here amongst us? There's none, is there? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's all of us. What about Joseph's brother? They sold them into slavery. Surely we should annihilate those blokes, 10 of them at the time. But you know what? 16 years later, in Egypt, they repented. They all repented. Some might have done beforehand. And God used those, those blokes and God built from them the 12 tribes of Israel. God didn't dispense with the sinner. No, he forgave them, reinstated them, and they were used by God again. God wants to use you again. God is in the habit and he's in the business of reinstating people who have come a cropper, who have made mistakes. That includes us all here today. But once having come to God, having received his undeserved grace, I say, power on for God. Let's just get on with the business of winning this nation back to Christ. Your shaky past does not dictate your glorious future. The Bible tells me in the book of Revelations, oh, the bride gets the girl, amen? Amen? The groom gets the girl, amen? Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. That's us, that's us. We're on the winning team and we may have all started a bit shaky, but but the Lord is coming back for a spotless bride and uh, the conviction you now possess, because you've been forgiven, you've experienced the grace of God you're making a comeback, a comeback to Christ. But that conviction is now amplified because you yourself have personally experienced the grace of God in a new dimension. I'm just going to ask Jules to come to the keys right now. And I'm, I'm looking at the gospel message, and throughout the gospel it says, For, for whosoever will... It says, for whosoever will come to the banquet, amen? So the invitation is also always there. And it also really implies for whosoever won't. And so our job is to pronounce, declare, decree the gospel, the good news to all mankind, to your work buddies, to your home, family, friends, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, friends and enemies. For whosoever will and for whosoever won't, is still the two responses to the gospel message today. The Father is still saying, will you go into my vineyard? And some people will say no. But do not take that no as a no, because man is indecisive. Amen? At first I was indecisive, and now I'm not so sure. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? But when a man says no, or a woman says no, the circumstances of life can bring people around. Our own sin often corrects us, And we begin to hear with the ears of the Spirit, to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, amen. Our hearts can be changed through the circumstances of life. And sometimes in life, people are more open to hear the gospel than at other times. When we're young, strong, invincible, we don't need God. But things can happen in life, even when you're young. I see so many people now self-harming, committing suicide, Indulging in lifestyles that my age group never did. They weren't exposed to it. It wasn't available. If it was available, we would have done it and more. But I want to say that the promise of God, when you come to him, that he will in no wise cast out. I'll give you the scripture reference for that. It's in John chapter 6 and verse 37. For those who think... Or you're a ship that can't be salvaged. I want to say today, in closing, there is no ship that cannot be salvaged by God. No ship. He died on a cross and he was introduced to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the provision for every single man, woman, boy and girl for all the earth, for all time was made at the cross. But it's for whosoever will. And God has never been interested in taking the free will away from any person. It is a free will decision to believe, to repent, to believe and to receive. It's a free will decision that individually we can either accept nor reject. Your responsibility in proclaiming the gospel, you think I'm not an evangelist, but the Lord said, just go tell. All you're doing is to your workmates, go tell, tell them the gospel. It's yours to accept or to reject. There is no weight upon you once you have delivered the message. We are watchmen, and when the enemy's coming, we blow the shofar, the ram's horn, or the trumpet. And that's what we're doing when we're proclaiming the gospel, we're blowing the trumpet, because the Lord is returning. And soon, and very soon, we're going to meet the King. I pray that you'd be upstanding right now. I'm just going to close in prayer, and Jules is going to lead us into a, a closing uh, worship song but father in the name of jesus i thank you lord for this word this simple parable lord that puts religious people in their place because sometimes we can think we are so smug and so secure when actually tax collectors and sinners having repented afar are going to enter the kingdom of heaven before us father because of the genuineness of their faith i pray father god there is no religious spirit in here, Father, that can operate. But I pray, Father, that we too, Lord, would repent, believe and receive. For those listening online, I pray that you have repented, believed and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. As we're looking down the barrel another fantastic year, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would lead this church and body of believers, Father. You would lead us, you would guide us, you would direct us, you would correct us. The Spirit of the Lord would be before us, Father, I thank you, Father, for this word. I pray that you seal it today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.